Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Actually, quite a bit. It was a great weekend on this end. I got a chance to see Pod Save America, you know, one of their tours. I was scouting the competition for when Open Floor Globe, you know, finally decides to get out from behind the the nerdy computer screens and actually do a live show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I followed, followed that up with... Uh, my annual Super Bowl counter programming. I did a basically a nine mile hike up a mountain and near Big Bear Lake. Uh, just you know, it basically took up the entire game. I saw the final two minutes. It was the only two minutes of the NFL that I've seen all season. And uh, you know, frankly, I, I could have left those two minutes uh, and not worried about it. But then, come to find out after this nice little detachment weekend that. <laughs> Breaking news, Emmanuel Moutier of the Denver Nuggets is available in trade rumors. Look, people were saying, Andrew, I don't know, this could be a quieter deadline. You know, there's not a lot of uh, you know room for teams to, you know, trade salaries and take on money. You know, Blake Griffin could be the biggest deal. We've got guys like Moutier, Marcus Smart, you know, big, big Tyreek names Evans here. Tyreek Evans is on the market. Uh, Look, the stove is heating up. Yeah. It's going to be a wild week of trades in the NBA. Absolutely. Yeah, and I can't wait to dig into all the possibilities with you right now. <laughs> and then after that, I know you, you have collected something on the line of 75 or 80 emails into openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com about everyone in the world's dog basketball names basketball related dog names pet names yes and this whole first half an hour that we're going to talk about trade rumors and stuff that actually matters to me it's kind of a farce and a front because i know you just wanted to do dog names for the whole show didn't you well we were kind of blown away by the response from open floor globe as far as nba pet names are concerned and so yes you and I talked about it late Sunday night. And first of all, let me say, I'm very proud of you for remaining on brand throughout the Super Bowl. I texted you midway through the game to see whether you were watching. And you said, yep, I'm having a Super Bowl party with oxygen pines. And I didn't even know what else you were talking about. But you were at Big Bear Lake. And it was just perfect. Um, I I love you for always being Golliver to the max. Um, and as far as this, I feel like, look, we could go through and do 45 minutes on a bunch of bullshit trades that nobody really cares about. But I think that we should talk big picture NBA stuff for the first half. And then for the second half, I want to go through every pet name email. And it's, it's <laughs> a risk. <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be that much interest in it. But I was amused by almost everybody who wrote in, and uh, I feel like rather than spin our wheels and try to hype up this deadline, we should just sort of zig while everyone else zags and uh, and have fun with it the second half of the episode. It sounds like a pretty good plan. Before all that, though, shouldn't we kind of bag on the Cavaliers? And I mean, they're in the <laughs> middle of all this trade stuff. Yes. But like last week, we were, you know, I said is LeBear Sturts, right? And, and pretty much didn't they have to give their building back over the weekend? I mean, it was really, really, really bad. This, this team actually has set an NBA record for rock bottoms. I think they're up to 16 now, maybe 17 over the course of the season. And I think we had a question from David, right? Yes. So David says... I'm just watching Cavs Rockets, and it's gotten me thinking. Is there any discussion happening about the structure of the playoffs within the NBA? The Rockets are clearly the second-best team in the NBA, so why shouldn't they have the chance to play the finals against Golden State? I mean, this would make the finals and the entire playoffs 
so much more interesting. So first of all, I think that this is a commentary on the state of the Cavs that we can't eat. I, everyone is too bored with speculating on what's wrong with Cleveland and how to fix them. And now the conversation is shifting to how we could just fix the playoffs to avoid having to watch this Cavs team like sputter through a, another underwhelming finals. Although at this point, I don't even see them really getting there. But we do get we get a, an email almost every week about reseeding the playoffs. So I feel like this is a good day to talk about it. So my first question to you is, how close are we to this becoming a reality? Well, we haven't really heard any official movement on it from the league. So I would guess, you know, not any closer, really. Uh, look, sometimes, you know, I, I try pretty hard to be an independent thinker. And sometimes that works out well for me. And sometimes it doesn't. Uh-huh. On this particular issue, you remember like two years ago or a year ago, how hard I was banging this drum, right? It was like a weekly it's thing a for me. I pretty for much, you. Yeah. And, you know, it feeds into the whole the show versus AAA Western Conference superiority and all the like, right? right? And the problem for me is I kind of have almost burned myself out on it, like <laughs> ramping up for another annual round of this just because we feel pity for the Cavaliers and we don't want to see them stomp by the Warriors in June. Uh, it's a tough ask. Now, at the same time, uh, let me propose this for you, because I personally, if I could do it, I would take the top 16 uh, teams regardless of conference, because okay. I think... You know, dividing by geography is just so arbitrary. It makes no sense to me. And a lot of the the teams aren't really located. You know, the 15 Eastern teams, uh, easternmost teams aren't in the Eastern Conference and vice versa with the West because you've had franchises move and so forth. Sure. So that that really bothers me. It seems illogical. I would just take the top 16 teams and I would also try to balance the regular season schedule so that Western Conference teams don't play each other quite as often um, so that you would get true parity across those records, right? But- I understand that's kind of a big ass. So let me ask <laughs> yeah. you this. Your your solution to what everything they, is to just blow up the entire system. Like you're you're pushing for anarchy at every turn, whether it's the all-star game, the playoffs, the regular season schedule. So I try to keep things a little bit more realistic, but I enjoy your perspective there. Yeah, well, so usually it's one of two. It's either I'm the most traditionalist person you know, <laughs> yeah. and I want to see nothing change, or let's run all the way to the other end with it. That's That's kind of how I operate. But- what about this as a, a compromise? Uh-huh. What if the reseeding just takes place in the final four? Yes. You know what I mean? Oh my god. So you get to the conference you get to the conference finals and you realize like okay, Cleveland is the weakest link of the four or whoever it might be. I guess this year, let's say uh you know, Toronto and Cleveland are the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. So maybe Cleveland's considered the weakest link there. They have to play the Warriors on one bracket. You put Houston and Toronto on the other bracket. That sets up Golden State Houston finals which everyone wants to see. Uh that could be a compromise. Now, what would bother me about that is a lot of times the West has three of the top four teams, so you would still be kind of leaving somebody like the Spurs out uh, yeah. in that scenario. But wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it ensure a better finals if we did that? I love it. it. It's very rare that you and I are on the same page. But yeah, I have a couple different thoughts on this, actually. So uh, let me start from the beginning. First of all, I think that we are closer than you realize to the NBA exploring this. I think the All-Star game is a sign that the league understands that there's a there's a problem that needs fixing, and it, I don't think it was just about the All-Star game. I think that the, the league recognizes that there's an imbalance here. And I also think that the, if if one good thing comes from the Warriors era, 
it could be that the league decides to shake things up to try and keep interest at its peak. And I, I think everybody involved with the NBA recognizes that this is a window of opportunity for the league to really gain some ground over the next few years, especially as football is kind of like flailing in the wind. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if a year or two from now, Adam Silver came out and said, look, we're going we're gonna to screw with the playoffs a little bit to try and sort of optimize competitive balance and, and, and make the most of the interest in all these games. <clears throat> yeah, Andrew, look, I love your optimism, but let's not forget the it's NBA the has also yeah. tried out. Th- well, the NBA has also tried out the dunk contest wheel and then team dunk contest. <laughs> like, you know, they've tried out a lot sure. of really all star weekend ideas. is the laboratory and <laughs> usually the ideas don't work. I understand that. And I also understand that you'd have to get the owners on the same page as well, which is a tough ask because the Eastern Conference owners have no incentive to try to reform any of this. Um, but I think, well, there, there, there is one incentive though, and maybe it's not particularly to them, but when you have the salary cap stuck in the mud this year, because there wasn't enough playoff revenues because there were so many blowouts, you know, especially golden state, it, you know, you would increase your playoff revenue. No question, more games, more ticket sales, more BRI, more everything. If you ensured you had the best teams playing each other for the the most amount of games in your playoffs, period. That's the argument. It's an economic argument as well as a uh, you know a a viewership and you know kind of catering to your fan base argument too. Now that's going to come at the expense of certain subgroups. There's no doubt. Uh, but we've seen owners just you know kind of float along, being propped up by you know financial incentives that kind of benefit the league rather than just benefiting their own team. For decades, so this wouldn't be totally out of line with that. Yeah, and there's another substantive reason to make this change beyond just like we want more exciting playoff games. I think that if you look at the imbalance of the conferences, which at this point goes back 20 years, I think part of the problem for the East has been that a lot of short-term thinking actually works in the East. Like you can you can go after guys. Like it, even even the Bucks trading for Eric Bledsoe makes more sense in the East because like Eric Bledsoe could be the difference between a first round series or making the conference finals. And that's been true on a lot of different teams over the last 20 years. It's like it, it the East is so bad that it incentivizes some of these short term fixes, whereas Western Conference teams it doesn't really make sense to think like that because at best you're in like a seventh seed situation and you're getting blown, blown out of the gym in the first round. And, uh, and I think over time, like a lot of that, cause basically the hidden story over, over the last 20 years is that most of the, the best teams in the Eastern conference have just been mismanaged. And some of that mismanagement comes down to like GMs sensing an opportunity to make some modest progress in the East. I mean, you can even look at the Wizards. Like, the Wizards would get their ass kicked in the West every year, but they've been able, they've spent a ton of money to build a team that is reasonably competitive in the East because there's just not that much talent. And I think that happens up and down the conference. And if suddenly these teams were faced with going out and playing actual good teams, like if one of these teams, if the Bucks matched up with the Spurs in the, in the first round of the, uh, playoffs, like there would be no illusions about how close they really are. Whereas it, it, as it is now, I think some of these teams are able to trick themselves into thinking they're closer than they really are. 
Yeah, it kind of seems like you're describing the soft bigotry of low expectations. Kind of, right? yeah. Like, it's it's the soft bigotry just, of Eastern it, Conference expectations. Yeah, bingo. And I mean, what you just said about the Washington Wizards is the single smartest thing you've said in the entire history of open floor. So even though you slipped in like a pseudo profanity, I'm going to apologize to Elizabeth on behalf okay. of you for that. Like, it was great to hear you make that point. And that's been, you know, something that happens year after year. What's strange about talking about this right now, though, is just the rash of injury to Western Conference stars yeah. has had a warping effect this year. Because I think People who would, whether they're traditionalists or not, whether they're just people who think, hey, you know, this is just a talking point for February. We don't really need to, like, actually seriously consider this. They would say, look at the East record versus the West this year. It's not that, you know, disparate. So why are we why are we panicking? This is really just an issue about Golden State being be- better than everyone and, and who cares. It could have been a lot more lopsided. If you go down the list of big-time star players in the West who have missed significant time, I mean, the NBA is actually getting off kind of easy in this conversation this year because Chris Paul missed a bunch of time, Kawhi Leonard missed a bunch of time. Uh, you know, Oklahoma City has had you know their share of, of injury issues. Um, Demarcus Cousins, Paul Millsap, who you're going to laugh at, but it's true. <laughs> Blake Griffin before yeah, he no, got traded. Rudy no Gobert in Utah. Mike Conley in Memphis. I mean. You put all those guys back on, and of course, there have been some significant issues in the East as well, starting with Gordon Hayward and and what Cleveland's gone through, but uh, the imbalance is definitely still there, even if it's hidden by the numbers, is my point, and that's why they should consider some of the radical solutions that I'm proposing. Yeah, and as far as to circle back to your original idea, my idea is actually a little bit more radical than what you threw out. I think that there is value to some of the regional rivalries, and I think that the travel concerns and the timing of games is, is I mean, it's not total BS uh, to raise those as concerns. So if I were the NBA, like my ideal solution, because I don't like change either, my ideal solution would be to keep the first round as it is and keep it west and east and then reseed once you get to the second round and... uh and that way, you still have like a 4-5 matchup between the Rockets and Spurs, which is fun as hell. And you'd have like the Wizards and Sixers, which is which is actually really cool. It's like two places that are two hours away from each other. But uh, but then once you get to the second and third round of the playoffs, like it makes sense to just like pair the the best teams together and, and build a bracket that actually makes sense. And it, like Rockets Warriors in the finals would be so cool it would be so much more fun than whatever we're going to get from the east this year and again i i think adam silver is more prone to radical changes than you've given him credit for um and also i'm looking at via matt moore this weekend i'm looking at what the playoffs would look like if if you reseeded it based on everyone's record right now and we'd have Warriors Sixers in the first round, which would be pretty awesome. One versus sixteen. We'd have Wizards Thunder eight nine, uh, Spurs Bucks again, like and Cavs Heat. I'll be so disappointed if we make it through the entire LeBron era without getting a Cavs Heat series at some point. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something worth exploring because it's it's especially if the Warriors are just going to be this much better than anybody, then the NBA is going to have to start getting creative. Yeah, but it's not about the Warriors. We want the best finals. Yeah. We want the two best semifinals. And like you're saying, we would love to have the four best possible 
uh, quarterfinal series too. There's no question. Everyone wins in that scenario. The fan wins. The global fan definitely wins. I like how you're you're really trying to pump up uh, Adam Silver's confidence here and telling and what an outside the box <laughs> totally. thinker he is. We've got we've got a great good uh, good cop bad cop thing going because look, I wrote like a very harsh column right after the Cavaliers swept the Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals, which was essentially just angry version of myself. Just why did I ha- even have to go to this game? This was so pointless. <laughs> why do we do this? Make laying out all the cases for why they should do the reseeding. And they didn't even change or really even recognize the concept uh, in the intervening 18 months after I wrote that. So from the very stereotypical writer version of if I say it and it doesn't get a response, therefore, uh, they're they're not actually as forward thinking (laughs) as they think. Exactly. So I'll be the bad cop here and say, you know what, Adam Silver, I don't think you have it in you. I think you're afraid. I think you're... You're you're seeing David Stern's shadow, and you're you know you're nervous about the history of the game, the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. What would you do? There might have to be a Jordan Conference and a and a Russell Conference if you got rid of the geographical destinations. That could be you know really complicated. So I'm calling your bluff, Adam Silver. <laughs> Prove to me that you're this outside the box thinker, like Andrew says you it uh, you are. And if you you know live up to it, then I will be the very first person giving you a standing ovation once we're watching Rockets-Warriors at next year's finals. Okay, good, good. I'm just trying to keep you engaged. I'm not going to let you quit before the miracle happens. And with with this or with LeBron to San Antonio, the, the, the pieces are aligning and this can, this can really happen, but let's move on here. Uh, to some salary stuff. Jameson says, Andrew, on the last pod, you stated that Gordon Hayward was overpaid. This might be your worst take ever. Claiming that the Celtics haven't missed a beat with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum stepping up. While they have stepped up, the Celtics offense can still look very, very ugly. Neither player is capable of being the number one man in an NBA offense yet. And then he went on from there. But look, just to be clear, overpaid may not be the right word. But what I meant is that if Gordon Hayward is making 30% of the salary cap, there's just no way he's going to produce that much for the team. And Hayward is really, really good, but like he can't account for 30% of a team's production. And really, there are only like 10 guys in the league who can get paid at that level and produce at that level, like Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant. Like They can be that valuable, but Hayward is not in that category. And with Hayward, I, he's worth the extra money in part because he gives Boston a shot at attracting another superstar. So it's it's really like not a shot at him, but it is as these deals continue to get signed, it's going to leave teams in some strange spots. So like, do you do you see this happening around the league, and how do you think it ends? Yeah, I mean, first of all, Jameson, like, put the hyperbole away. There's no possible way this is the worst take Andrew's ever had. On this <laughs> I've podcast. had much worse takes for the record. <laughs> Let's just keep it real. Second of all. Um, you might be underselling uh, the power of the Gordon Hayward Brad Stevens combination. Okay. I mean, you don't think he's worth thirty million because you're basing him on the Utah version. But have Perhaps. you seen him fully unlocked under Brad Stevens? I mean, you only saw it for five minutes in the opening night. So, uh, you know your 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 perception here it might be completely underselling the possibilities in Boston. So let's uh, okay, I'm open let's to not that. forget that. That was completely sarcastic. <laughs> Obviously, you're right. He's not a thirty million dollar player now. Uh, what we're seeing here, it's a, one of these weird salary cap trickle-down things where uh, 
because of that big, you know, salary cap explosion, and then that resetting the market for the top, top guys every summer, you know, to be able to kind of max out at that level, if there weren't those kind of players available last summer, and there really weren't that many of them, somebody had to make that kind of money, right? And to get a more appropriate salary for Gordon Hayward, um, like you're suggesting, that requires a very rare trait among elite front offices, and that would be restraint. Restraint, right? exactly. I mean, <laughs> and I don't see that developing uh, at all, especially given how you know how much competition. And we look at some of the very best GMs in the league we're going after Gordon Hayward, ready to pay him top dollar, whether it's Pat Riley, uh, Danny Ainge, or the guys in Utah who do a great job too. So uh, I think there's going to be uh, a class of these players, no doubt. And I don't think it's necessarily a new phenomenon either. I mean, there's there's been guys in this situation, uh, you know, going back, uh, you know, basically the last 20 years where uh, you're not quite a top five player, but you're being paid like a top five player because of just the, the timing and the market conditions when right. you hit free agency. So um, I don't think it's a disaster for Boston. I actually agree with what Jameson said in terms of their offense will look a lot better with him on the court. Yeah, there's no to, question. You know, how they've been limping along here but uh you know the only reason why they're able to you know invest that money in Hayward or one of the only reasons why is because they have so many guys on rookie deals I mean a lot of contending type teams would look at Gordon Hayward with a different approach than Boston was able to last summer because they knew half their rotation was going to be guys who are contributors on subsidized contracts that aren't super expensive so uh it was a unique uh, thing there in Boston uh, for them to be able to go after him uh, I don't know how repeatable that's going to be here, especially this coming summer when a lot of teams don't have money and, uh, you know, the, the type of free agents outside of LeBron and, uh, you know, KD, if you want to call him a free agent too, like uh, the, the quality after those guys is, yeah, is there's pretty diminishing lacking. returns. Yeah. And it's not limited to Hayward. I mentioned Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as guys who give you like 75% of Hayward's production for 20% of his salary and and the same but like there you could write the same story about Kyle Lowry making 33 million dollars for the Raptors when like DeLon Wright can give you 60% of what he does um and it there's just sort of it's a problem all over the league and I think one of it one of the issues here is that these contracts include five to eight percent raises every year which are supposed to account for inflation of the cap but then the cap has stopped rising for a few years here and that might sort of exacerbate the inefficiency of some of these deals um it's just like oh it will it will i mean it's not no might about it you know i mean you're looking at john wall's contract as a perfect example yeah it's gonna be grotesque in two years that's why you got to (laughs) trade off of it i mean i don't understand why you're still so resistant to that because you see these warning signs and you're hinting like, oh, this could be a problem in a couple of years. Well, the Clippers saw those same warning signs and they got out as quickly as possible. And there's no question if you've got one of these guys who was signed to like a super max level contract, um, that deal is going to look really, really dicey yeah. in a couple of years, uh, especially if there's injury concerns. Yeah, well, and it, but it's it's a strange spot for a lot of teams who basically have to choose between being good and being really expensive or just letting guys walk and basically blowing it up. Like, and it's easier for the Clippers to do that because they're in LA and they can say, all right, well, we're going to turn around in two years and have a ton of cap space and sign some superstars. And like, who knows how that will actually play out, but it's, it's a decent strategy on paper. But like 
the Raptors couldn't do that with with Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka this summer, and most teams around the league won't be able to do that. So it just no, I, I feel you, but let's not pity their ownership. That's one thing I don't want to have happen. I don't want people to say, "Oh, poor Ted Leon says he's got to pay forty million for John Wall when he's only worth thirty. And, yeah. Oh, the poor Raptors, like they had to re up on all these veterans because they were in that contention window. But you know, man, those deals are going to look bad in a year and a half. Guess what? Those franchises should be making money hand over fist, thanks to uh, the gigantic new media rights deal. And yeah, every once in a while, if you want to be a contender, you're going to have to pay the luxury tax and you're going to have to overpay for star talent that's the way the nba works if you know sell the team if you're going to whine about that's it. I mean, fair that's, that's sort of the message and i think you know guys like you know balmer and uh you know other like big time owners super deep pocketed guys when they're making some of these um you know money uh financially motivated uh, cost cutting type decisions like trading blake griffin uh, that is when you know other owners who don't have quite that same track record of deep spending should be thinking, wow, if Balmer's doing it, I should be doing it too. I got to get out of this John Wall deal before it really hamstrings me and costs me tons and tons of money for the next five years. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's one of those things where like, specifically our corner of the internet, basketball Twitter and whatnot, is full of amateur GMs where like the Clippers move looks awesome and looks like a no-brainer and just a brilliant foresight but it's harder for a lot of teams to make that move. That's that's my only point is that it, it, it there's more nuance to it once you like look at the nitty gritty and the and the the wizard situation is a separate situation and we could address that later in the week. But um, one more cap thing from Seth, he says the decision to not smooth the cap increase in 2015 has had a profound impact on the league. It seems like it gets brushed to the side despite constant discussion about how the Warriors dominate while half the league is saddled with albatross contracts. My question is, where does that decision rank among other moves that have shaped the league in the modern era? I think it's pretty high up there, man. And this is like, you know how Bill Simmons had that thing where like he just mentioned the, the Harden trade on every podcast for like two years straight with good reason because it was mind boggling. This like I think about the the decision to not smooth the cap an embarrassing amount of time. Like I I think about it constantly and it just was such a bad decision for the for the state of the league and it has screwed so many different teams who had to spend that money that summer lest they spend it extending guys on their own roster uh the following year and it just like I don't know. It's it's amazing to me that the players' association and and the league could get it that wrong. Um, and and you look at like even for the players, like twenty percent of the of the players got this massive windfall. Where you're starting to see guys like this summer, that money will have dried up. And someone like Clint Capella, like who knows what he's going to get? Who knows what actual a lot of these actual good players are going to get this summer? Well, earlier I was saying how rare it is to expect restraint from owners, and I think uh, what we're discussing now in terms is the flip side for the players. You know, it's very rare to expect widespread unselfishness or compassion or benevolence from players who are operating in a career where they only have a very, very limited window of time to earn money. At the time, the big conversation was, would the people who are in position to be making money that summer be willing to agree to the smoothing proposal yeah. so that 
it would take money out of their pocket, but kind of save some for the next year's uh, free agents and the next year's free agents so that it would be spread out more uh, agreeably and, and fairly among all the players. And ultimately, the Players Association said, no, we're not willing to do that. We don't necessarily trust the NBA to, to bring that money back into the system or, or whatever their reasoning was. It was always pretty murky. And one particular group of guys got paid astronomically out of this world, in many cases overpaid, and it came out at the expense of their peers. We said that was going to happen at the time, and now we're seeing it play out in real time. It definitely uh, hurts you know, this year's crop of guys, and I think it's probably going to hurt next year's crop of guys, and then finally we're going to get out of that cycle. But um, you know, we're almost in a situation where the NBA needs to really think outside the box in terms of revenue generation so that right. the cap can keep going up so that these and that one round of contracts doesn't kind of hamstring all business in the league here uh, for multiple years. The emailer made a great point, though. Uh, the Warriors part of this exactly. distracts yeah. from all the messes that are going on around the league. And I'm actually proud of you for thinking about this on a weekly basis. It's a great thing to think <laughs> about. And, you know, if I were you, I would come up with a column of like the 20 worst things that the caps, no cap smoothing did to the league. I would read that column, and I guarantee you lots and lots of people, amateur GMs or not, would read that column. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. It is, because uh, I do think that the Warriors, half of it, I mean, it basically allowed the Warriors to become unbeatable while at the same time making life so much more complicated for anyone who is trying to beat the Warriors. Like, the if the Rockets hadn't had to pay $80 million or $75 million for Ryan Anderson that summer, like, they would be in much better shape now. And uh, and as far as the Players Association is concerned, I think part of that was basically just setting the tone for the CBA renegotiation to come the following year, and they didn't want to cede any ground, which is reasonable, but it just seems to have backfired for everybody involved. And uh, we'll see. We'll see how it ends. No, it, it, uh... I don't know. I mean, do you think there's people in the MBPA who are like, yeah, that was a good move. We handled that correctly. Or do you yeah, think they're like, I, we really hope guys like Andrew Sharp don't bring this up constantly <laughs> because this makes us look terrible and we really bad. did a disservice to our entire uh, our entire clientele. That's how I view it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's just rough when there's more qualified, better players coming up through the system right now who are looking around like, hey, where's my payday? Who <laughs> is going to offer me something in restricted free agency? Like, how come I can't make as much money as the guy who I've been playing in front of in my uh, in my lineup? You know, it's tough. Yeah, it, it is tough. All right, let's keep it moving. But first, Ben, we need to talk about mattresses. Everyone knows how important stretching is before an event, and so does Mattress Firm, except it's stretching your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. It is a true slam dunk. Mattress Firm are the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, they are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite 3&D wing. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast right now to see what deals are happening. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Sleep trial, low-price guarantee, talk about a one-two punch, Steph and Clay, if you will. Score big with a perfect bet. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, 
and tomorrow. Let Mattress Firm stretch your budget, guys. Just try it out. Everyone needs a good mattress. Mattressfirm.com slash podcast. Check it out. All right, let's get back into it. I think it's time to move on to the dogs, right? Or do you do you want to talk about LeBron the GM real quick? Oh, we should get some LeBron bashing in. I mean, that's become a, a weekly tradition <laughs> yes. on this episode. But like I said, the rock bottom keeps going you know, further and further down. Um, yes, it has become a tradition. So in keeping with tradition... Marlon says, your last episode made me mad because you guys went all in on the LeBron, the GM conspiracy theory. Where does that come from anyways? Has there ever been proof? David Griffin has specifically refuted this whenever he talks about it. And then Chris says, does LeBron's poor record as a GM diminish his legacy as a player? So uh, just real quick, I think the, the LeBron GM thing is tricky because I think there are a lot of people who have secretly resented him for a long time who enjoy pointing out that his moves have backfired. And so I understand when people are like, everyone is just being unfair to LeBron. Um, But I also think it's unrealistic to say that he's had no impact on the state of the Cavs over the last few years. and, and yeah, I would love to be, you know, that naive like that. <laughs> that sounds like such a great world uh, where you could just live in this fantasy uh, island where LeBron doesn't impact his team's movements over the course of the last 10 years. I mean, what reality is this guy talking about? You know, you just go right down the list of the guys they've brought in uh, the conversations that uh, LeBron has said publicly, like, look at J.R. Smith, you know, he's like, Basically, we made the trade because I told everyone that I would take care of J.R. Smith. And J.R. Right. Smith's like, yep, LeBron basically <laughs> kept me in line for multiple years. I think some of the LeBron GM stuff goes too far negative because he's built some pretty good teams. He's got pretty good taste in players, you know? I mean, snagging a guy like Kyle Korver when he looks done uh, you know, in Atlanta and bringing him and get some real quality minutes out of him last year, that's a nice move. You know, does that move without happen without LeBron's influence? I don't think so. The other thing I'd say real quick about David Griffin, he better be saying that because he's a GM who doesn't have a job and he wants to have a job in this league, right? So if he's just going to say, oh yeah, LeBron does everything, that's like the the worst possible <laughs> thing somebody in that situation could say. So yeah, he should stand up for his own role. Certainly there is a lot that goes into GMing in terms of you know maintaining relationships with your fellow colleagues around the league, discussing deals. Yeah. Uh, but you would be so foolish as the GM of a LeBron team not to keep him clued in uh, that uh, I think it's disingenuous for anyone to argue that, oh, LeBron's not the GM. I mean, obviously in name and title, he's not. Uh, he would say that too. He would pretend to claim he's just a player. But guys, come on. Yeah. We, we could be better than that. Well, and Griffin gets a lot of credit for executing like the mechanics of some of these moves. I mean, it, it, in LeBron's first year, turning Dion Waiters into a then healthy version of Mozgov and uh, J.R. Smith. Like it kind of like reinvented that team when they needed it. And like he's, he's pulled off some, some subtle moves like that, that were impressive. And that's not LeBron. Like he's not working the phones, flipping picks back and forth and making that happen for sure. But, and on top of that, look at look at how everything blew up last summer. Like if I, you know, David Griffin, if it, he was yeah. cocky, he would say, as soon as I got out of there, as soon as Dan didn't, Gilbert didn't pay me, the whole thing fell apart. They had to trade Kyrie and the season's been a mess ever since. I was the guy who kept this thing together. There's more than just transactions to that role. It's about relationship management and personality massaging, ego management, all of those things. He's not cocky. He's not going to come on national TV and say that. 
Uh, but those things are true about the job that he did. Yeah, and, and the, there's two other aspects to this that I think are too nuanced to discuss on Twitter where most of this is litigated, but like the Tristan Thompson and JR deals, which you're right to point out, LeBron has taken credit for getting those guys paid. And so it's now harder to, to step back and act like he has no role in any of it. But um, like Tristan Thompson's deal was actually pretty fair at the time. And he ultimately made a huge difference against the Warriors. So it was worth it. But there wasn't a huge market for him. And you could argue that he got more money in Cleveland as a restricted free agent than he would have found elsewhere. And you could definitely argue with, argue that with J.R. Smith a year later after they had won that title. And both of those guys are now impossible to move. So that's kind of like low-hanging fruit if you're looking to criticize LeBron. But at the same time, the Cavs were capped out at that point, And they were choosing between either paying those guys or losing for, or, or losing them for nothing. And they yeah. were LeBron's guys. No. So there was never any question about whether Cleveland was going to keep them. Yeah, and to underscore this, look... LeBron, the GM, delivered the only title yeah. <laughs> in franchise history ever. So he gets immunity. He, I mean, look, if he paid you $20 million, Andrew, I would still defend that because it delivered a title that nobody thought was possible, uh, you know, based on his first track record there at Cleveland, based on how abrupt that move back to, back to Cleveland was, based on the early drama with David Blatt and Dion Waiters and all these other things going on there based on being down 3-1 and all the crazy things that had to happen in that series to to make them victorious. Yeah. I think uh I can't really imagine a scenario where I would ever point blame at LeBron the GM for what has happened in Cleveland. There's lots and lots of different ways you could uh well uh, you could cast blame and you could say his role and, and his love of you know, massaging his leverage and, you know, constantly keeping Dan Gilbert on edge created an un- unhealthy environment. Yeah. I would agree with you on that stuff. But look, this guy gets the credit for that first title, you know, in franchise history ever, first title in the city in what, 50 something years. Uh, he gets a lot more credit here than blame. Yeah. I, I just think, and you hit on it. Look, the most realistic criticism of LeBron is that by signing those one year deals, he's created a ton of leverage and has more power than probably any athlete ever. And I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago that that dynamic creates an urgency in the front office where they feel like they have to go get him guys who are going to help immediately. And they end up forfeiting all their future assets and bringing in guys who are like one and two years down the line, you look around the roster and everybody is just old and slow. And a similar thing happened in Miami and it's happening in Cleveland and the trade-off has always been worth it, but as LeBron gets older, it may not be as worth it as it used to be. And uh, we'll see how it goes. I, I'm kind of sick of talking about the Cavs, but um, it, it, the answer, will any of this diminish his legacy as a player? I think the answer is definitely no. No, it's the opposite. You know, his legacy is going to be significantly greater than it was before he returned to Cleveland because he brought that city its title, uh, period. And all these little things about, oh, Tristan Thompson got overpaid. Do you think anyone in 50 years is going to be saying that? Do we say anything about that? Like Mike, <laughs> do we have any kind of conversations about <laughs> Mike's uh, influence in the locker room? Or do we say, man, that righty to lefty layup was unbelievable. He stuck his tongue out. He he pushed off on Brian Russell to win the championship. You're going to remember well, those on court moments whatever it took to get the block to happen yes 
that's going to be LeBron's legacy. The answer is that we do have those conversations about Jordan, though. And I do think that, like, among people who lived it, the LeBron conversation will be a little bit more nuanced than he was the second greatest player ever or he was the greatest player ever. But that's interesting. Like, it's not really a criticism of him. It's just there are pluses and minuses to the LeBron experience. Um, I'm saying what's what's going to get brought up more often? These little nitpicks around the edges or the third title, you know, the one that sealed his career, the one that made him cry. Yes. You know? Well, and LeBron isn't a psychopath. <laughs> I think unlike Jordan... I think most of the little quirks about him, like if anything, the criticism of LeBron is that he is powerful and brings in guys who he's friends with and gets them paid, which is like ultimately a cool thing that should be celebrated. Um, It just gets complicated down the line. So now it is time to move to the pet name Hall of Fame portion of the podcast. Are you ready, Ben? I am. I, I need to preface this part of the conversation, though. Well, first of all, I've probably angered a bunch of our listeners who like professional football with my complete disregard for the NFL <laughs> also, earlier. And we look, should I'm, say, coming off yeah. one of the better Super Bowls of the last like fifteen or twenty years. Shout out to the Eagles. I've never. I've. I had so much fun watching that game and rooting against the Patriots. It was great. Now, that doesn't surprise me at all, because you know you really don't like Boston. You've got to think for Boston, probably. <laughs> Probably stems a little bit from Kelly Olynyk, but you know <laughs> yeah, who knows. It's, but it's residual uh, resentment from the from the Olynyk game seven, absolutely. It's not that I look down on NFL fans. I just you know my thing is don't let your kids play football. That's it. Now in terms of this conversation, to ratchet up the anger and the animosity from our listeners even more, I, I have to admit right up front, Andrew, I, I don't like dogs. Okay. I'm afraid of dogs. Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid of horses in part because they remind me of big dogs. And so what we're about to do here for the next however long this takes is is going to be tough for me. It's going to be like, you know, nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Uh, because even just this morning walking to get my mail, I had a dog barking at me. And um, <laughs> and you were triggered? Like, I, yeah, oh, 100%. Like, you know, the owners, they always apologize. I don't respond, you know? It's like, get your dog under control. I don't say anything <laughs> out loud, but, you know, I'll do the dirty look thing. Uh, certainly uh, it bothers me when I'm, you know, on hiking trails or wherever else I might be. And, you know, there's owners who don't take care of their dogs properly. You know, the uh, the, the waste or whatever, you know, that you want to call that product. It, it really disturbs me when they don't bring that with them in bags uh-huh. um, you know, to just pollute nature for the rest of us. So, Understand I'm entering this conversation, um, you know, uh, a little bit uh, against my will, but I do so because I'm getting the sense based on the loving names you had for your pets, Rafer, <laughs> and what was it, Gilbert? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that you might be a big dog guy. I, I am, but I do appreciate your stance. It's perfectly in keeping with your reclusive weirdo brand, and uh, and I like it. I am definitely a dog person and really enjoyed particularly the emailers who included pictures of their dogs and, and their cats and their, uh, I don't think we got any other pictures other than dogs and cats, but we did get other animals involved. So we'll dig into it. This is going to be a test of, uh, patience for you perhaps, and maybe for the listeners, who knows? Um, but Taylor says, but there is, we should say this though, for everyone who's thinking about, Oh, I don't know if I can handle 30 minutes of dog questions. There's going to be a gigantic payoff here, and it involves <laughs> my personal life and my uh, basically my confidence as a human being at the very end, so stick around for okay. that. Okay, so Taylor says, I named my cat Kobe. 
first of all, I'm not the person who believes in prenaming a pet. The pet needs to earn its name, whatever it may be. This cat simply reminded me of a young Kobe because of how high he could jump and how often he was doing unbelievable stuff as a kitten. My girlfriend wasn't too keen on the name because at the time, Kobe Bryant was still actively dominating and she wasn't all that interested in, in having to hear about two different Kobe's without being able to tell which one the story is about. Example, Kobe was crazy last night, or you won't believe what Kobe got up to while you were gone, or fuck Kobe, I'm done with this guy. All of these are real quotes that could be attributed to the player or my cat, who, as he's aged, appears to be a bit of an asshole, like Mr. Bryant as well. Um... We're starting here because I loved the idea of a cat named Kobe. Because when you think about it, I don't know how you feel about cats, Ben. What's your stance on cats? Cats are better than dogs. I appreciate their independence. They're not quite as needy, <laughs> not as slobbery. Um, if I had to get one or the other, I would get a cat. Okay. Um, well, but so... I, I, prefer, I prefer neither. Yeah. I, to me, cats are like typically pretty aloof. And I always feel like I'm being judged by cats when they're just sitting across from the room, across the room, and staring at me. They are more elegant and graceful than dogs, and also a lot tougher and smarter. But mostly, like even as you love a cat, you always get the sense that the cat doesn't give a fuck about you. So to me, Kobe is the perfect name for a cat because he really checks all of those boxes. And uh, basically, all cats have some Kobe Bryant in them. Is what I'm saying, and I really appreciate the 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 nod to to old number twenty four on that one. Yeah, what I appreciated in this story was just the the girlfriend being thrown under the bus. I mean, clearly <laughs> Taylor, uh, you know, there had been some animosity over the naming. He just kind of did it and made her go with it. And uh, unfortunately, he's looking to us to kind of support him in that decision. And honestly, Taylor, I think I, I side with your girlfriend on this one. Uh, it probably wasn't smart to name your cat Kobe when he was that dominant. Maybe you could have gone with a derivative, a nickname, something else, uh, you know, just to kind of have a little bit of separation because that is super annoying when uh, there's two famous people with the same name. Uh, in this case, not necessarily a famous person, but someone who's actively in your family. Uh, that does get very confusing, and I think your girlfriend was right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate it, to be honest with you. Um, it's gonna Every cat I see over the next couple months, I'm going to remember Kobe the cat um, because it really is perfect. Anyways, moving on. Christian says, I'm a lifelong Mavs fan, and I named my dog Dirk maybe two weeks after we took down the Heat in the 2011 Finals. Have never thought twice about the decision to name him Dirk. There was no negotiation process. The whole family felt it was the perfect name at the time. This is tricky because Dirk is definitely in that category of humans who are too famous to name a dog after. But given the context, it probably makes sense. And Dirk is kind of a fun, offbeat name who works as a, as a name of a pet. Um, I don't know. The reason I, I think the reason I, I'm weirded out by naming dogs after people that famous is because like the dog ultimately becomes like another person and it would be weird to have a person like lebron sitting around the house with you and and dirk is almost in that category but i guess i guess it works yeah christian says there was no negotiation you know i'm sure he had one of his siblings who wanted berea or deshaun (laughs) oh deshaun would have been great for whatever reason (laughs) Yeah, for whatever reason, they just got kind of shouted down in the in the Dirk Love process. You know, I don't know what kind of a dog 
uh, his dog Dirk is, but I'm picturing one whose tongue is like twice as long as it should be kind of hanging out of his mouth or maybe like, you know, spins in circles, chases his tail, maybe kind of like a droopy face. Like Dirk the dog conjures up uh, a very certain mental image. Yeah. And if that's not what his dog is like, I'm not sure that I enjoy that name quite as much. But if that is kind of in the general vicinity of w- what his dog looks like, then I'm okay with it. Yeah, that. it could work. Chan- Chandler would also be a decent name for a dog. I think we we should all just be glad that Christian didn't name his ki- his dog Jason Kid or, or Kid or Jason, whatever. That would have been an automatic L and we would have had to ask him to stop listening to the podcast. Um Next, from Molly, she says, Hey, our dog is named Chauncey Billups Rosen Mariner. We typically call him Chauncey B, Young Chauncey, Chauncey Boy, etc. I had pre-selected the name Chauncey Billups, truly an exceptional name and a great team player. The name and his bassity face and gait pair very well together. So I came very close to naming Rafer Chauncey Billups. Um, however... My problem was that Chauncey Billups isn't actually like cool enough of a player to to shot out like that and to celebrate. But the name Chauncey is just an awesome name, so I, I definitely can't be mad at that at all. Yeah, I mean, gotta say, Molly, I think you're the MVP of this entire thing. Uh, great name. One other men- thing that I noticed with the whole Chauncey and how she called him Chauncey Boy, I do think that factors in a little bit to why. People would name their dog Kyrie over LeBron, which was one of our previous conversations. Because if you're shouting it or you're chanting it or you're trying to clap your hands to make that silly little dog come towards you because they don't (laughs) listen and don't care, it helps to have two syllables and it helps to have one of them kind of end with an E-E-E type of sound, right? So, you know, Kyrie, Chauncey, like you can just see that at the dog park, you know, being a thing that would annoy me. So from that standpoint, Molly, A-plus name, good job, you win. Yeah, all right. So Danny said, this might be my favorite. Danny said, I've long planned on getting a Bernese mountain dog named Kalena Azibuki, or maybe I will get two named Azu and Buki. Still hard to pin it down. Now that is a deep-ass cut as far as NBA pet names are concerned. Yeah, that Basically, the only people who would think that cool are who, who would think that's cool are other dorks who spend way too much of their time on league pass and nba reddit but to me i think that's fucking awesome so i i, I applaud yeah, it no, and I, I hope danny gets his bernie's mountain dogs no, that's definitely open floor certified <laughs> open floor globe certified there's no question if you can have a name where no one gets it that it's basketball related i think that's a big plus but then the people who really know know yeah. uh You've you, got it. You basically you've, you've hit the sweet. You spot. have an instant bond with anyone who understands. That's that was sort of the Rafer situation with me. Like there were only maybe five percent of people understood what I was talking about, but like those five people grew up, or those five percent grew up on Slam Magazine and were super into it. Um, Steven says I'm a huge Pelicans fan, and instead of naming my dog Buddy, Boogie, or Monty, I went with one that will last. My dog's name is Pierre. This is tricky because Pierre is a really good dog name, but I also, I mean, I can't condone repping that nightmare fuel mascot that they have. So I don't know. I mean, it's better than name. At least you didn't name him Buddy. That's that's a win. Not my favorite uh, at all. I would say Pierre has a certain dignity to it. Now, clearly, the Pelicans messed that up with their mascot. I mean, there's zero dignity to Pierre the Pelican, but Pierre... 
you know, that's sort of what I picture like the maitre d', you know, at a French restaurant and most dogs, unless they're like just meticulously groomed and well-behaved, do not fit the Pierre archetype at all. But you notice the other names he considered, Buddy, Boogie, and Monty. Again, they're fitting that two-syllable with the Ys at the end. Yep. Uh, to me, it, it seems like Boogie would be way up there with like, you know, the most common dog names, but I'm just speculating. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, Boogie's a great dog name for any... It's almost too easy if if you're looking for NBA pet names, but it's also the, the type of thing where you can't go wrong naming your dog Boogie. Although... It it could grow up to be a, a pretty unruly dog, so you never know. Um, Boomer says, being Pacers fans, my family had dogs named Reggie and Boomer growing up. I think both of those were pretty solid. Boomer is the Pacers mascot. This one kind of made me feel bad for Pacers fans. I feel like you have to settle for Boomer's <laughs> Boomer, the Pacers mascot. And Reggie Miller, I've met a lot of Pacers fans who, who call him their favorite player of all time. And... I don't know. It's it's a that's not super exciting to to spend the rest of your life repping for Reggie Reggie Miller. I hope the dogs are great. That's all that really matters. But uh, in terms of the mascot thing, though, look, you could feel bad for Pacers fans, but imagine being a Blazers fan and like, do you want to name your dog after Blaze the Trail Cat? Or if you had a cat, would you ever name it Blaze the Trail Cat? I mean, there are worse names than Boomer. I mean, Boomer <laughs> is a catch-all dog name that extends outside of just the NBA world. Uh, you're not going to be looked at with, you know, arched eyebrows if your dog's named Boomer. Yes. I mean, that's probably like a top five most popular dog name, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely another one where you can't really go wrong. And by the way, I screwed up the name of the emailer. That's actually Steven from Indiana, not Boomer. Um, Boomer is the dog. <laughs> um, but uh, moving on, Matthew says... Some of my buddies and I have an ongoing argument about the whole LeBron versus Jordan comparison. I'm on the so- on the side that says LeBron is overall better, but almost all of my friends disagree. Listen to your friends, Matthew. Don't get crazy. Don't overthink it. But Matthew continues on to say, a couple years back, I bought a pet lizard and named him LeBron out of spite to prove how dedicated I was to my side of the argument. This is a- tricky because, like... The if you're naming a cat or a dog after LeBron, I can't support it. But a lizard is not someone who's ever going to be like a person. So a pet lizard named LeBron is actually kind of great. LeBron the lizard is cool with me. Yeah, I'm not sure if he really if his story adds up here, Andrew. I think he just named it LeBron the lizard because there's an alliteration there that yeah, really the good works alliteration is exciting. It's, it's solid. I, I, this whole other conversation, this backstory, I, I'm kind of questioning uh, questioning all of it. I don't know if we can trust him and, and why he did this, but I appreciate the effort. Um, I mean, if you had a mouse, you'd name him Mike the Mouse. You wouldn't name him LeBron the Mouse. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mike the Mouse. Uh, Kevin just got two puppies a little more than a week ago. Only one has a basketball name, but he includes pictures of both of the puppies, and they both look great. The first picture is Dennis Smith Jr., uh, and he says Dennis Smith Jr. Jr. Shouldn't that be Dennis Smith the third? No, because he's not his biological son. Don't get crazy. Uh, and then the second is his tiny sister Spuds McKenzie. Long live Mac and Dennis. I think Dennis Smith Jr. is a is a pretty solid investment in a, in a pet name. They, the the puppies can know. grow together. I Yeah, maybe you're not as much of a believer. He's been struggling on defense. But Dennis is a good name for a dog. 
Well, this is the conversation. How many years do they have to be proven or how blue chip of a prospect do you need to have before you can name the animal after him? Like with Kyrie, I mean, number one overall pick, like pretty early in his career, especially given like the the nice sound to his name, I think you could be comfortable naming your dog after Kyrie without too much backlash until, of course, he forces his way out. And you couldn't really <laughs> foresee that six years in advance. Uh, I'm just wondering if, you know, like... You're a Nuggets fan two years ago, and you name your dog Manny for Emmanuel Moutier, or just name him yeah. Moutier. I mean, <laughs> that would you, not work out well. Are, are you are, are you dropping him off at the pound at this point, or like what are you doing? Well, and that's actually a great point. That's another reason to avoid franchise players because the relationships become so complicated with franchise players. I mean, not everyone turns out to be <laughs> Dirk. You know, <laughs> some are. Blake Griffin or John Wall, and it just gets a little complicated. Whereas, like, if you name your dog Otto Porter, you're never going to be mad at Otto Porter. That like, you're never going to like, f- I don't know, have emotional baggage with someone who's like a a secondary or or tertiary star for your team. So that's I, Dennis Smith Jr. is a risk, no question about it. Yeah, I just see some downside. I'm also picturing Otto Porter the dog just standing in the corner of the <laughs> Not room. Not really doing much. <laughs> Sp- uh, spacing the court. Yeah, perfect. Go fuck yourself, man. He's coming back to life right now. Um, Oren says, I named our dog Penny after Penny Hardaway. Golden Retrievers are known to be super smart, but let's just say that what both pennies, what, <laughs> that what both pennies had in common was that they both did not live up to expectations. My Penny the dog was a lot of fun, and I loved her dearly, but smart is not the word any of my family or friends would ever use when reminiscing about her. And Matthias in Copenhagen also named his dog Penny. So two pennies. I feel like there are probably a lot of pennies out there in, in large part because Penny is a popular dog name without bringing the basketball player into it. So it allows various basketball fans a way to sort of like shoehorn in uh, an NBA pet name without having to like litigate it with their family members fantastic point i mean cute as a penny right like, yeah you know that, that's something that kind of work and i can relate to what oren's saying with the golden retrievers because after um you know emmy jane uh the one we named after jordan there was a second golden retriever in our family named spike and i was away at college when they really got spike so i wasn't involved in the naming and all that but spike was not the most intelligent dog <laughs> yeah. very nice friendly dog but it was like one of those dogs where you throw the ball and he just looks at your fingertips instead of tracking the ball. That would just drive me absolutely crazy. It's like this is the simplest possible game. It's called catch. You're a dog. You're supposed to be an intelligent dog, a golden retriever. Your name suggests you know how to retrieve, and yet you just stare at the fingertips rather than <laughs> tracking the ball. It just drove me nuts. Well, and I would also take issue with the idea that golden retrievers generally are known to be super smart i'm not a, an expert in dog breeds but most of the golden retrievers <laughs> dog, I've met, relative dog iq <laughs> yeah I, I definitely don't have many takes in that department but just speaking from my own experience i've met a lot of golden retrievers who have big hearts great spirits but not the brightest breed uh so perhaps penny was more the rule than the exception um, but no shots, no shots at any dogs or cats. That, no, Those are, that that's sounded oh, <laughs> that sounded a lot like shots, and I enjoyed it. Keep going. <laughs> Steven says, a few years back, I had a guinea pig. He had this beautiful curly brown hair with a few blonde patches. My my dad wanted to name him Val after Carlos Valderrama, famous Colombian soccer player. 
but we eventually named it Vare, named after Ander- Anderson Verjao. Um, I think that's great. Uh, probably the only uh, Verjao ha- probably does not have many pets named after him, so this is a big win for him. And he's also someone who was like universally beloved by every teammate he ever had. Apparently, he was a lot of fun to go out with. So I'm glad that he he gets a shout out here. I'm just picturing Steven using this story like on Tinder or on a first date. It's like, hey, tell me something about yourself. Well, I once had a guinea pig named after <laughs> Anderson Verisha. <laughs> I mean, I don't know which way swiping is supposed to be good or bad or whatever, but I feel like that's kind of a conversation killer. Yeah, right I think top, any I guinea it was pig great. mention is a red flag for prospective mates. Yeah, I mean, if you... If you have a guinea pig, but you don't like pigtail your own hair as a guy, I mean, that's there's a lot of overlap in those two departments. <laughs> Gets tricky. Steven, uh, I loved it, though. I thought it was very creative, uh, nice and shorthand uh, and different, you know, and it also made sense, too, with the hair. By the way, Steven, I meant to send you a picture of myself in an airport with Carlos Valderrama. Haven't done it yet. I will dig that photo up for you and send it as an apology for somewhat mocking you on this. You podcast. know what, man? You don't need to just send it to Steven. You can also just post it to Instagram because I think we would no, love to see some I, I early Oliver shots out there. It could be a perfect throwback Thursday from you. I don't believe in putting pictures of yourself on the internet. I think it's uh, a little self-centered. Uh, I think you know you're you're just asking for. St- you're asking for stalkers, but at the same time, guys, go ahead and check me out. Ben.Golver on Instagram. Got some great photos up from the weekend. You'll love it. All them. right, great. Well, we have 10 more minutes of, of different pet names. Joe says, we have a five-year-old Black Lab Retriever mix. My wife let me name him, and I'm a huge University of Kentucky basketball fan, so his name is Miller after Darius Miller. Again, I can't imagine there are more than like 10 or 15 pets in all of uh, the world named after Darius Miller. So great scoring high as far as obscurity is concerned up there with Azubuki. But um, I don't know, even at Kentucky, Darius Miller wasn't that great. So personally, I I probably would have picked like Rondo from from the Kentucky family. Um, Oh, God. Can you imagine how terrible that dog would be if you had a dog (laughs) named Rondo? I mean, like tear up your carpet. I mean, he would cause all sorts of... If you had other pets, you know, your other pets would be warring with each other. They'd have to be posting like subliminal messages to pet Instagram about how much they don't get along. I mean, that would be a great way to ruin a household. Like if you were on a farm and Rondo was in your barn, forget about toxic, it. That barn's Toxic down. presence. Look, Rondo and Chauncey Billups were the other two finalists for Rafer the dog. Uh, but I decided that Rondo, because he's a Celtic, and this was probably... Uh, at the peak of like the Celtics dynasty, and um, I it would have felt bandwagony to me, so I, I didn't want to go that route. But uh, Rondo, you dodged a big bullet. <laughs> I did. Big I did. That's bullet. another one that would not have aged quite as well. Uh, a couple Kobe names. Eli says we adopted a large wiener dog mix who was long and black, so we named him Kobe Bryant Black Mamba. These days, he's just called Kobe, which is a pretty standard dog name. Kobe the wiener dog is fantastic. Uh, a Kobe like the golden retriever would not work, but I think there's some irony in naming a large wiener dog Kobe, so I'm into it. And then Michael says, from your discussion about NBA players as dog names, I've attached two photos of Kobe, our four-year-old Staffy Cross. I've always been a big fan of Kobe, 
So when I when my wife brought home a dog without any discussion, it was only right that I got to name him. And then a third name, a third Kobe, Atticus says, "This is my dog Bean. She is a fe- female golden retriever. Surprisingly, my mom and sister hate the NBA and Kobe Bryant for his alleged in- improprieties, but liked the name Bean." So we, we agreed on Bean, and I kept my mouth shut and only revealed weeks later that we named him after Kobe, much to their chagrin. Um, yeah, so I feel bad because I just hated on the idea of Kobe the Golden Retriever, but I do love Bean as a, as a subtle nod to Kobe. Yeah, I was kind of hinting towards that earlier. It's It's better to use that sort of alternate nickname than the actual name, I think, and Given his his mother and sister's uh, opinion of Kobe Bryant, this was a real dastardly deed by our buddy Atticus. <laughs> <It was. laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't know how he sleeps at night. I mean, th- these seem like really legitimate complaints that people could have against Kobe Bryant, and to be f- faced with that reckoning every time they see this dog Bean, kind of takes the whole purpose of having a dog away, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely pretty devious i i keep it in keeping with your thought about alternate names as nods to players naming a dog allen or iverson would be kind of whack but naming a dog bubba uh because of bubba chuck as a nod to iverson could be pretty awesome particularly if it's like a see now now you're getting it now you're getting yeah iverson sized dog naming bubba that's awesome um and then continuing on another guinea pig here ben says My family has a pretty terrible history of giving our pets awful names. For example, we have a female Pekingese pug that we got at the height of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and we named him Frodo. But the most regretful choice we made was when my brother and I got our first guinea pig. My favorite player at the time was Rashid Wallace, and so naturally we named it Rashid. What an awful decision. There is literally only one famous person named Rashid, and this was at the height of him getting all the technical fouls. I quickly realized that it probably wasn't the best looked, even though I still loved Sheed. And so whenever I had my friends over, I would just conveniently not mention my guinea pig's name. Like you were mentioning in the last pod, Andrew, we all made some pretty regretful decisions in middle middle school. This is one of mine. P.S. When Rashid eventually died... I made a little cardboard tombstone for him, which read, ball don't lie. R.I.P. Sheed, the guinea pig. Can I just say, I think Ben needs to own this. This is not something to be ashamed of. Rashid is an awesome name for a guinea pig. And particularly, like, I was on the fence until I saw I saw the cardboard tombstone, ball don't lie. That is amazing. And this is, this is not something to be ashamed of. Wear it proudly, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not only own it, Ben, get some new childhood friends. Come on, if you have to hide the fact that your guinea pig is named after Rashid Wallace from them, they're not worth your time. Exactly. <laughs> Go back, time machine, do it over, get rid of them, find yourself a better crew <laughs> who <laughs> yeah, uh, who who rolls a little deeper with uh with basketball and go forward from if there. If those I mean, people there, there are still no in your life, that. cut them out of your life. That's what we're saying now. Yeah. Un- unfriend, unfriend, <laughs> unfollow. Um all right, Pablo says, I named my cat Monte Ellis. Not only has the cat gone off the rails, much like Monte's career, it constantly scratches you and won't let you pick it up, etc., etc., but I still get shit from all my friends at what a terrible name it was in the beginning. I don't think that's such a terrible name, but I'm not surprised that that cat is completely out of control. 
It's funny because you think he was like the Warriors where he had a chance to name it either after Ellis or Curry <laughs> oh, and he chose tough. Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it went the Steph wrong way. Steph Curry yeah, would have been the best to be cat ever. By his friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty tough. Um, all right, moving on. Joel says, I'm a lifelong Timberwolves fan and my dog's name is Rubio. He's a great dog who really ups the chemistry around my wife's and my apartment. Not surprising. Rubio is is another sort of no brainer name. You're not going to go wrong with a dog named Rubio. Um, I'm happy for for you and your wife, Joel. Yeah, I'm picturing Rob Mahoney just dog sitting for free. Like, <laughs> oh, your dog's named Rubio. Hey, let's go hang out with them. This will be great. Yeah. Let's just I'll, I'll just take him the whole week. You guys could do whatever you want. Don't worry about it. Go out date night every single night. I hope that dog has dreamy eyes like Rubio. Um, although maybe maybe the dog will hit like a dark dark period like the current version of of utah rubio um micah says i'm a 14 year old celtics fan and i have rondo the frog ai and isaiah or no al and isaiah two crabs and then Kyrie the gecko really impressive collection of pets there um i once had a frog and the the frog smelled pretty bad and eventually my mom made an executive decision to leave the frog outside in the middle of a snowstorm and the, the frog died. It was Rudolph the frog, not Rondo the frog for me, but uh, yeah. So that frog it brings up sort of a traumatic memory, I guess. Yeah, Micah, the 14-year-old fan here, is stunting on us. This is <laughs> yeah. like better than, this is like better than my Lego collection, but with actual animals. The only thing that it reminded me of... Uh, I had a goldfish for a while when I was probably younger than Micah, but for whatever reason, when I went to Petco to buy it, they told me that they had a policy where like, if the goldfish died, you could come back and, and bring, uh, get a free one replacement. Yeah. And I don't know if they just say that to everybody or whatever, but I think I cashed that thing in like four or five times to the point where like they were, <laughs> they were like expecting me back and being like, no, like you're kind of abusing the yeah, policy. This is like, not okay. Just take... <laughs> better care of your animal sir and um so i that's just what i thought about and i feel bad for all those goldfish and uh you know whose lives i was able not able to uh adequately protect yeah. i apologize yeah well and i promise that my mom is a good person um i think she was just stressed it was it was she was working a full-time job at the time and said one day got home from work and just snapped um so R.I.P. Yeah, Rudolph the Frog. I hope the record states that I didn't go after your mom. I had the opportunity <laughs> to kind of question her. I really her, appreciate it. <laughs> and I, I let it go completely. I just want everyone out there to notice Way to that. take the high road. Um, Patrick says, in 2012, I'm on, on my own in Chicago, and I realized that this was the perfect time to go rescue a dog. I wound up meeting my new best friend, Max. He was three years old, and he really knew his name at, at this point, so there was no messing with that. I had to settle with giving him a middle name of Reggie after my favorite player of all time, Reggie Miller. Oh, no. This is another one where I've already dug myself a hole. Uh, but he says, P.S. I watch a lot of NBA League Pass, and I see every halftime show. And every time, I'm hoping to see Christian and Scooby. One of my two dogs, not Max Reggie, looks exactly like Scooby. It made my day to know that that guy is listening to Open Floor. That was... I. Again, we didn't get any follow-up emails from other halftime performers, but I am honored to have a Yet. halftime performer listening to Open Floor. No, oh, and he's one of the best. I mean, he's way, way up there. Um, and in terms of Reggie, you know, this 
we're uncovering here that Reggie might be the most popular dog name. I mean, I think that's what this survey, it's either Reggie or Kobe at this point, right? I mean, we've had like 16 different people say Reggie. So uh, I don't know if someone at Turner can get that information to him. Maybe we can get an (laughs) on-air reaction from Reggie Miller about how he feels to be like, you know, this famous and and inspiring this many dog names. But this is something I don't know, man. The on-air version of Reggie is part of what makes it so hard to appreciate him. So I don't think we need to encourage more on-air pontificating from Reggie. But um, such such is life, whatever. Uh, Dalton says, my girl and I got together years ago. And when we got a dog, we made a bracket list, a bracket style list of names. We ended up agreeing to name the rescue dog Duncan after Tim, though he isn't nearly as quiet as Timmy D was throughout his career. Another Spurs email says Ben or Ben says, I convinced my family to name our new kitten Timmy after Tim Duncan. Once Timmy was no longer with us, we got another cat a year or so later. The cat, which looked the same as the previous one, was also named Timmy. My girlfriend and now wife thinks it's weird that we got another cat that looked exactly the same and named it the same thing. But either way, both Timmy cats got to watch Tim and the Spurs win titles. So my take on this is that I think we just mentioned Reggie. But I do think that if we were like to take a nationwide census, Spurs fans probably lead the league in pets named after pets and and possibly children named after the like the big three superstars of, of the last 15 or 20 years. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about some of the less intelligent animals earlier, but I don't understand why you left out the part of the emails from Dalton and Ben, because Dalton said his dog, his rescue dog named Duncan, can actually fold laundry, do the dishes, and also mop the floors. <laughs> Does well, all the Ben's little things. <laughs> two, Ben's two Timmy cats uh, are actually tutoring his middle schoolers in mathematics. You know, so when you have this level of intelligence uh, from animals, I mean, you have to just you know run with it and and really make them full members of your family. At that point, they're not even really pets. You just kind of. Uh, you know, you, you vault them up to a higher level. And it's incredible. I, I really appreciate both Dalton and Ben for those amazing, heartwarming stories. You guys are real winners. It's clear you've separated from everybody else out yeah. there. Yeah, one, one other Spurs story. A girl I was friends with in high school, her two brothers were named Duncan and Parker, but they were named before the rise of the Spurs. So they were basically just like regular white kid names. And uh, and then as the Spurs began to take over the NBA, obviously they became like these rabid Spurs fans over the over the last like fifteen or twenty years. And uh, I always thought that was pretty funny. They both they had the jerseys and everything. It was it was kind of weird. And her name was Robert Ori, which was the weirdest <laughs> part about it. No, you know <laughs> that is. That is pretty awesome. And what are the odds of that? Yeah. Uh, her name was Kendall. And I actually always th- would would hear her name and think of Kendall Gill to keep the weird NBA connections going. Um, but now this podcast is officially trending into some like dorky, borderline like restraining order territory. But um, dude, we're, <laughs> we're half an hour past the guinea pig. We're way past. Yeah. <laughs> we're way past any of those things that you just said. We're, we've flown across the line it's really bad uh sam says my mom is a stray cat magnet they used to show up in our backyard and without fail we'd end up with a new cat 
All told, we had 10 cats over the course of two decades. The only one I successfully named was a rail-thin Siamese cat we called Yao Ming. He lasted about 14 years. He peed all over our carpets and hid in the basement for most of his life. Great name, pretty terrible cat. So this is definitely the saddest email we've gotten, but um, I appreciate the honesty from our man Sam. I mean, I didn't get past the part about how he called his mom a stray cat magnet because I decided I want a, I want a magnet for my magnet board of a stray cat in, in memory of this story. Um, past that, it's awful. I mean, sorry that your cat was so terrible and uh, that was a bad name choice. Uh, you're disgracing Yao Ming's wonderful, for real. Yao deserves amazing glo- Yao deserves global legacy. Shitty stray cat. Maybe we could just change his name to one of these other, you know, Chinese basketball player disappointments. Just call him Yi. I don't know, but just <laughs> let's save Yao from this. This is doesn't feel yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So couple the, we have three more here. Ryan says, Growing up in Raleigh Only three. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up in Raleigh, North Carolina, my brothers and I were huge Hornets fans. And so when my family decided to get a dog and the kids were obsessed with how tiny the puppy was, we begged my parents to name it Muggsy after Muggsy Bogues. I think this fits the not-too-famous criteria for dog names, as at the time, Alonzo or LJ would have been a bit much. Speaking of which, I'm a college professor, and during one lecture, we were discussing the historical philosophical concept of the homunculus, tiny, fully formed humans, And I made some passing joke about naming a basketball team the Fighting Homunculi. The next day, a student emailed me their starting five of the Fighting Homunculi. I thought it looked pretty good. Muggsy Bogues, Earl Boykins, Spud Webb, Nate Robinson, and Isaiah Thomas, the current version. Do you guys have improvements? I think you have to be at or under six feet to be eligible. What do you think? I'm... Pretty proud of myself for, I, I believe, pr- pronouncing homunculi correctly. But beyond that, uh, I'm curious whether you have any additions to the, to the squad there. Look, be careful when you're bragging about your yeah. pronunciation because I'm getting all sorts of DMs left and right saying like, have you just given up on correcting Andrew in terms of how he pronounces different mm-hmm. words? And look, guys, I'm trying to be a better person in 2018. I'm not trying to rub you know, Andrew's knows and it's hard to read all these emails week after uh-huh. week so let's you know let's let's recognize andrew's greatness here <laughs> uh, i think the team was perfect I, and i also think mugsy's a great name again you know two syllables ends in a y we found the formula here for a good pet name uh, so i from, from that standpoint um good job yeah. Ryan. earl boykins was also in the mix now that i think about it for for the rafer chauncey rondo sweepstakes um for me so I, I would add that I think if you're, if you're making the fighting homunculi and looking to history, you would have to add Tiny Archibald and Calvin Murphy. Although I don't know exactly what Tiny Archibald was listed at, but I bet he was below six feet and Calvin Murphy definitely was. And I would take off, it's been a rough year for Isaiah. I don't mean to add to the adversity he's dealing with, but I don't think he makes the fighting homunculi roster. And I also think you'd have to take off Nate Robinson. And I feel like I'm betraying Seattle right now, but Calvin Murphy was amazing. And so was um, Tiny Ultra Archibald. And maybe Iverson belongs on the squad too. What about Avery Johnson? No, he was shitty. Get, get out of here with that Spurs talk. <laughs> um, go back to the monastery. <laughs> just, re- 
just rep it for the Spurs <laughs> yeah. fans. Just try my face. Uh, no, I think you. I think you're screwing up a team that was already pretty solid. According to Basketball Reference, Tiny Archibald is not eligible for the fighting okay. homunculi because he was listed at six foot one. So regardless of his nickname, which was inaccurate, uh, he is not going to be on this team. Uh, I'm now browsing other possible no, no. options here. <laughs> We've already gone too far down the wormhole. It's time to move on. Brian in Utah. Oh boy, we've got a human here. He says, I have a nephew that was born in 1996 and his parents named him Jordan Michael, just as Ben was hoping for. He's now almost 22. He's taller than average and a decent basketball player, but his personality isn't quite as crazy competitive as his namesake. So great, your nephew is not a sociopath. Um, When he was a newborn, however, his birth was announced over the pulpit at church, a tradition in Mormon culture. Shout out Elizabeth from North Carolina. But the person making the announcement mixed up the first and middle name and called him Michael Jordan. Fortunately, this was a year before the Jazz suffered their first of two consecutive finals losses to the Bulls. Otherwise, there may have been trouble in that Ogden, Utah congregation that day. Do you have any response? Well, there's a lot going on there, but we're now getting Elizabeth's shout outs to open <laughs> yeah. mail at gmail.com. So that was the real takeaway for me. She's elevated. Uh, I think we might have to, you know, eventually get her on as a special guest at this point. Uh, past that, Jordan Michael is a clever way to do it because most people are not going to know your middle name, right? So if you're named Jordan, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a disguise. You know, it's almost like a. Uh, you know, a cover uh, if you're just called Jordan and, and no one really has to know and your really cool friends, you know, your good friends will understand, oh, wow, you know, Jordan Michael, that's awesome. Totally. You know? And anyone who sees your driver's license checking your uh, name, I think it would be hard to probably buy liquor and this might not have applied for this guy, but between the ages of like, you know, 21 and 25, if you have a fake, you know, an ID that says Jordan Michael, you're probably getting nailed by people thinking it's a fake. Uh, past <laughs> that, I don't really see a downside. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, All right, moving on here. Brent says, my very first dog was named Barkley after Sir Charles. My dad insisted on that being his name because when the Dream Team came to Portland for the Pan Am Games, he somehow got a job as a towel boy for the team. After After a practice, a bunch of the players wanted to run a scrimmage, but they needed two more. According to my dad's legend, Barkley asked him and one of the other towel guys to stay on the court and play. After they said yes, obviously, dad says Jordan walked up to him and told him to make the shot if it gets to you and otherwise stay out of the fucking way, (laughs) which is amazing. And so this is a good opportunity to tease our podcast. At some point in the rest of the year, we're going to do a strictly Michael Jordan themed podcast. I don't know when it's going to run, but we're probably going to record it in a few weeks. We'll have more details then, but... For now, Barkley is a fantastic dog name. I feel like Barkley was kind of what Boogie is to NBA dog names now. Barkley was probably 20 years ago. Um, Today, if you name your dog Barkley, it has kind of different connotations, like a curmudgeonly fat dog, which could also work. But still, I really appreciated the, the extra context we got for Brent on this one. Perfect. Yeah, no, I think Barkley was the dog name for a solid 10 years. And uh, that goes in waves, you know, dog names, human names, same thing. <laughs> so it, it's, 
It's good to hear. I don't really like the idea of resurrecting Barkley as a 90s nostalgia thing. I think you would have to be confronted with the inside the NBA version on a regular enough basis where that might, uh, you know, wear off whatever good feelings you have from like those Suns yeah. teams or the, the 86ers. So probably best to stay away on that. Um, but, uh, you know, past that, we always love a good Michael Jordan vignette. Please email them in <laughs> openfloormail at gmail.com. We'll take all of them. Even if you made them exactly. up. Exactly. Any anecdote you have, even if it's impossible for us to uh, substantiate, we're, we're in. Just send us Michael Jordan fan fiction and we'll read it on the pod. So, Okay, Andrew, we've done like an hour and 15 minutes about docs. Can we please finally just do the big reveal here at the end that I teased it. earlier? Go for it, man. So remember last podcast, I had a lot of family stories actually you know i was talking about how embarrassed i was when i broke a rim accidentally off my uh, ele- you know my preschool and then <laughs> yeah <laughs> shattering an exit sign in middle school and then you know there's a few other stories along the way that my dad got kicked out of a game and then after that i did explain this whole naming thing about how we tried to name my younger brother after michael jordan so that was all well and good but then i get an email yesterday from my dad and the email starts negotiations for naming rights has a long history in our family. And I was like, where is he going with this? I didn't even know he listened to the podcast necessarily, uh-huh. but my, my younger brother had been down here in LA with me. So I'm sure word got back maybe that they were all famous and, and it's time to check out that podcast. I was a little nervous that he was mad about how I described him shading towards Oliver Miller territory. <laughs> I, you know, I thought maybe this could maybe be revenge for that. His email continues I'm not sure if you've ever noticed that, but your name, Benjamin David, that BD, that's my first and middle name, BD lines up with Bob Dylan. And he writes, you were secretly named in honor of a future Pulitzer and Nobel Prize winning writer. Now, my entire life, Andrew, I have been told that I was named after Benjamin Franklin. (laughs) My entire (laughs) life. And... My dad is like, you know, kind of a scientist, computer scientist. Uh, It makes sense. Benjamin Franklin's like this free thinking guy who, you know, all sorts of versatile skills, political thinker, invents all these different things. It kind of makes sense. However, my dad is one of the world's, I would say, top 10 Bob Dylan groupies. That's not an exaggeration. It's not hyperbole. He's followed Bob Dylan around for hundreds of concerts. At, At some points, he went to like, you know, 10 shows in 12 nights kind of a thing. He's been doing this for decades. When we went to New York City one time, we had to stay in a specific hotel room at the Chelsea Hotel because that was like the Bob Dylan room for whatever reason. We were in New York at that time for a Bob Dylan celebration birthday party that Bob Dylan was not, that he was not even attending. Okay. It wasn't like he was going to be there doing a concert. It was just like a bunch of people having a birthday party in his honor. He is such a Bob Dylan fan that he's collected memorabilia over the years that he's going to donate to a Bob Dylan museum. So like this is as legit as it can get. And come to find out, he had this negotiation with my mother, unbeknownst to her, apparently, unbeknownst to me my entire (laughs) life, (laughs) so that he could have my initials be the same as Bob Dylan's initials because he knew there was no way he was going to be able to get away with just naming me, you know, Bob Dylan Gall. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. This, (laughs) you know... Shook me to the core, Andrew. Like I thought I was kind of like telling these hilarious stories about our family. I'm opening up to our audience. Little did I know, punched in the face by my father in return, 
And, you know, at this point, I've never really liked Bob Dylan's music. I respect his writing, obviously, but I've never really been a fan. I grew up listening to it for 15 years of my life, never really got behind it. And now it's like an identity crisis. (laughs) Yeah, I I was going to say, I'm not a huge Bob Dylan fan myself. No shots at you. But I, every time I've I've seen him in concert once. I went to like a, a festival with him and the Flaming Lips, and the Flaming Lips were amazing. And then Bob Dylan came on, and I kind of was just like, I don't really, I don't get it. I think that Bob Dylan might be a situation where you had to be there as it was happening to appreciate him as revolutionary. I also saw Bob Dylan when he was like seventy years old, so probably not grading him fairly on that one. But look, uh, the the bottom line, and we've said it in the past, this this podcast is essentially just therapy for you. And I'm glad that we were <laughs> able to dig down and sort of uncover the truth about your origins. And I, I like it because it it's, it's it's like finding out that he's not my real dad. That's really what this <laughs> well, feels like. There are two things. There it's are like two things I level. really enjoy about it. One, it it appears that he was doing this without your mom's knowledge or or consent which is amazing and two it's perfectly in keeping with your progressive pacific northwest brand so i think it works well on that level as well and it's something you should wear with pride yeah i'm gonna try to own it you know after I graduated from college, I decided, you know, it's it's time to rethink this whole thing. I'm going to go to a Bob Dylan concert with my dad and try to Good. understand. Because throughout our <laughs> lives, some of his Bob Dylan uh, fan friends had like stayed at our house in the extra bedroom or whatever. You know, these are just random 50-year-old men like coming to these concerts, just like using it like it's an Airbnb. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> my poor mom's like, w- what are these guys doing, right? So I go to the concert. No, I, I'm dead serious about this. So I go to the concert and there, I don't know if there's intermission or whatever it is, but like this group group of Bob Dylan super fans all kind of go down to the front right in front of the concert and congregate and they're all having this this conversation like well this track listing that he's done you know it's not quite the same as last week's it's not quite as good and you know some of them actually had hats where they had like dat recorders uh were built into the hat so that they could tape the concert in super high quality audio and then trade it amongst themselves on the internet afterwards so this was a really a deep <laughs> cult. I mean, this was this was the Bob Dylan Globe before the Open Floor Globe existed. And, you know, from that standpoint, I do kind of feel like maybe in a certain way, the way we approach basketball uh, on this podcast is similar to the way that uh, my father and his friends approach music. So I, I do feel some bonding there. Uh, with that being said, Andrew, everyone needs to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. I hear we're closing in on a thousand almost uh, potentially i wouldn't say we're on our goal to ten thousand for the record i wouldn't say we're closing in on a thousand we're approaching 800 but we are getting close enough to a (laughs) thousand where a goal is for like by the time we get to the playoffs it would be really cool to have a thousand reviews in in apple podcasts and i think at some point soon we're going to start pulling questions from apple podcast reviews that's a great idea. So five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, guys. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Please, no more dog stories. I can't take any more, but everything else, including trade rumors, LeBron discussion, whatever you guys want to hear from us, we'd love it. Michael Jordan anecdotes like we mentioned earlier. Andrew, until later this week, when hopefully we'll have some big-time yes. trades to discuss, I'll talk yes. to you. Yes, look, for the record, I don't know whether this made good radio at all. And anyone who's stuck with us to the very end, shout out to you. Uh, but 
this was uh, it was a lot of fun to read through everyone's stories and family histories this weekend so thank you to everybody who wrote in and we will be back at the end of the week with some hot emmanuel moutier takes and tyreek evans and everybody all the other blockbuster deals that go down on this trade deadline and it should be fun another great edition of open floor is in the books did you know locked on has a daily podcast for all 30 nba teams if you're a lakers fan search locked on lakers a celtics fan search locked on celtics warriors fans search locked on warriors yes all 30 nba teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the locked on podcast network Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.